on the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are casting our minds back to the summer of 1985 for the triumphant and decidedly more colourful return of Netflix's Stranger Things. Meanwhile, Noah Hawley's batshit superhero series Legion is back for its third and final season, and we Brits finally get a chance to see Michael Shannon and Taylor Kitsch's Waco miniseries, Waco. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, your weekly break from sitting in front of the telly so you can listen to advice about how to best sit in front of the telly. Aiding me as I steer this pod ship through the endless space of 2019 broadcast schedules are my two pilot co-hosts, my co-pilots, if you will, uh, at the con, charting our course as we head out into the great unknown is Pilot's navigation officer, a man whose deep interest in television comes from a place of love and appreciation and not, as might first appear to be the case, simply because he's always on the lookout for new people to add to his Rolodex of celebrity accessories. It's Boyd Hilton. How are you, Boyd? I'm very well, thanks. I've got a new celebrity friend. Have you? Well, Yay. amazing. You know um, Paddy Gibson in the OA? Yes. Yeah. The, the, He's the newest. The main teen. <gasps> the main teen. Who's wow. Brilliant. Yeah, who in the very first episode of the series is naked and has sex and everything. He's brilliant. And so I met him at a GQ style party and he was very nice and I told him how much obsessed I am with the OA and he was really nice about it. Then I went to see his play, Sweat, which is brilliant. He's By brilliant, his invitation or just coincidentally? Well, kind of partly his invitation and um, generally because it was, and I was, because I was taking a friend to celebrate her birthday and everything. And and now he's like, oh, you should have come and see me afterwards. And now I'm like messaging on Instagram and everything. I feel this is, you know, and honestly, he is brilliant. Is he, is he listening to the podcast yet? I'm not sure about that, but I'm going to get him to. I hope yeah. he's not, because he's probably terrified. Right well, yeah, now. I was about to say, if he does listen, what, this has got really he awkward. He just described stalking. Is this yeah. And now you're, no, talking, and now right. you're explaining how key. you slid into his no, no, DMs on Instagram. No, this is the key. He suggested, he gave me his number to keep in touch first. Did he? Yes. Did, did he? he? Yes. Did he? He did. did. Were you hiding in the walls of his house at the time? No. Were you <laughs> in a bush? What? My name's not Boyd. My no, name's no, no, the honestly, Bush. It's all fine. It's all fine. You know what they board. say, Boyd? A celebrity in the hand is worth two in the bush. Steady. I don't know what that means. Manning, or rather womaning, the tactical console on the good ship pilot is our head of security, our mistress of war, our master of disaster. Her phases are perpetually set to kill and, quite frankly, she'll ram a photon torpedo up your ass as soon as look at you. It's Terry White. You made me feel like a wrestler then. Really? Yeah. What would be your wrestling name? Um, Terrible Terry. Well, no, it has to be like a, you know, master of disaster. You know, like in um, in the Rocky films, Apollo Creed had yeah. the most monikers out of any boxer ever. Um, I need some time to decide what I would be, but it would be somewhat dead hard. They'd be like, fighters, you know the rules. <laughs> no punching below the belt. Stick to the rules. Uh, stick no to the rules. in the boob. The rules of the ring. There'd be the no rules if you were ring. boxing. I'm fairly certain of that. Yeah. All right, I'm, I'm really just combobulated, but the, one of the microphones is broken and Boyd's sitting in a weird place and it's thrown off the entire dynamic. Yeah. It is true. Boyd is not in his customary seat. He's moved to the other side of the desk it and is. he's now on my left and it is freaking me out. Isn't it weird? Also, I'm closer to you. It's yeah. Weird. yeah, it is really it's weird. It's weird and I've had to adjust yeah. my angle. Frankly, so that I can keep Terry always in my peripheral vision so she doesn't shank me while I'm doing a banshee. Uh, you know, because you, you've really got to watch these things. You've got to watch that for a shank. You do, you do. Shanky I know what goes on up north. I know, I know how. Banshee. Yeah, that's it. Sounds like the world's greatest euphemism. <laughs> and then what happened? Well, I shanked him while he was doing a banshee. Yeah. Oh, my God. Wow. Um, which takes us almost seamlessly into what we've been watching this week. Let's start with you, Terry. Okay, so... I watched the entirety of something called 13. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at Boyd. Yeah. So this was recommended to me on BBC iPlayer due to my Jodie Comer watching-ness. Not like Boyd watches Jodie Comer, like in a different way, like in a non-creepy, <laughs> hiding in the bushes way. Exactly. Oh, Stop it with the non- creepy thing. <laughs> so <laughs> essentially, it's Jodie Comer playing a girl who runs out of the house and says, basically, I'm Ivy, the girl who was kidnapped 13 years ago. I've been being hidden in a cellar for the last 13 years. And essentially, she's escaped the man who held her prisoner underground for 13 years. And it's about her kind of um, going back with her family, about trying to settle in. There's also like so many crazy twists and turns and five episodes, I think, watch them all. Um, I watched three last night. I stayed up dead late. And... 
she is amazing in it. I mean, we know Jodie Comer is amazing, right? But she is yeah. absolutely fucking brilliant um, in this. And I absolutely loved it, James. It would be your ideal of ideal idea of hell <laughs> that seems it does sound suitably life-affirming and joyful it's full of trauma oh, and uh, violence and yeah it's pretty horrendous excellent have you been watching anything else Mate, apart from five hours of so that, no no okay boyd what have you watched? I, I second that. That was an absolutely brilliant series, which, I, which I've completely forgotten about. Um, and, BBC uh, Three. Yeah, BBC Three. Yeah. It shows you. I mean, BBC Three still comes up with the goods, even though it's not a channel anymore. Um, it just randomly comes up with brilliant stuff. Yeah, that was. it was written, created by Marnie Dickens. And um, it just kind of... I remember when it arrived, yeah, and it was, it was a fantastic show. 2016, anyway. 2016. So, yeah, three years yeah. ago. Uh, I've been watching a comedy, James. Which I don't is, understand. Yeah, comedy. It's comedy. It's on Channel Four. It's on Monday nights at ten o'clock, and um, it's called Year of the Rabbit. It stars Matt Berry, Freddie Fox, and Susan McComa. It's written by Kevin Cecil and Andy Riley, who worked on Veep among other things, and it's absolutely up my street. I think well, it's, you're obsessed with Matt Berry. So. I am obsessed. I love Matt Berry, um, but I think it's really good to see a Matt Berry show that he hasn't created or written it's just uh, they wrote the part I'm assuming they wrote the part for him because it's obviously him and he gets he does his own riffing as well I think around the script but it's a Victorian set spoof detective drama but in which the characters are all are brilliantly funny and the central trio of Barry Fox and Wakoma are, are fantastic together but they have actual proper kind of plots like mystery plots that actually work on their in their own way it's one of those where they've they've written it cleverly enough to make sure it works on that level but it's also flat out really funny and I love it okay. and I'm not going to apologize for loving Matt Barry. Fair enough. Um, I have watched, in addition to Eight Hours of Stranger Things, which we'll get on to later, I, what did I watch? I watched the final two episodes of the penultimate season of The West Wing, uh, as I have been watching it along. And, oh, but it's, it's, Wait a minute. How many rewatches of The West Wing have you had oh in God, your own you life? Oh, my God. Are you fucking I mean, genuinely, I can't tell you. It's almost countless the amount of times you, I've been through that is series. Is this a sneaky rewatch of the wrestling you've just been doing in the background to all the rewatching of Sons yeah. of Anarchy and all the other things yeah. you're rewatching? I haven't been talking about Jesus it, but yeah. But it's been, a lot, it's been a slow burn, this, because I'm watching it along with the West Wing Weekly podcast. So I'm, I'm watching it much slower than I'm doing Sons of Anarchy, which I'm just storming through. Okay. So this, is, this has been going on for, uh, okay. for a couple of years. But, uh, but, but this is about the... It's the, it's the Democratic National Convention when they're choosing the nominee for president. So it's a bit topical at the moment. It's Democrats oh, yeah. feuding at the convention. There's debates. There's arguments. <laughs> So it's actually, you know, it, it felt a little bit like if the world wasn't utterly fucked like it is at the moment, it would be happening like it did on I, that episode of The West Wing. I watched the actual Democratic um, candidate. Oh, did Two of them on the internet wow. at two in the morning. Oh, That's how fucking insane I am. I, just, I couldn't face it. I know. I You're absolute psychopath. I am a psychopath, but I'm obsessed with American politics like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. It, it is really Some to an extent, but not enough to stay up and watch that at two yeah. in the morning. And Elizabeth Warren was great, by the Yeah, way. so I heard. So I heard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good, good, good stuff. Uh, I'll tell you what I've not been watching. I've not been watching the best thing that came out this week. Which, of course, What We Left Behind, the Deep Space Nine documentary released <laughs> this week by Ira Stephen Bear. Now, this was released in cinemas and is feature length. Was it? But I've checked and it turns out it's a one-off documentary event. So that's lucky, isn't it? So that's good. So we can do it. A, a documentary about Deep, Deep Space Nine was released in cinema. Yes, yes. Okay, well, yeah. a very limited release. Like one to be cinema in your uh, head. It was definitely on at the Prince Charles in London. So oh, you know, that that's what I'm count. saying. But it's just, it's just come out, and I've not had a chance to see it yet. I'm really looking forward to it because it's by the Deep Space Nine producer, and okay. it's going. It's talking about what they would have done. You know, all this stuff, and it is the best Star Trek of them all. I will brook no discussion on this. Uh, and oh, I'm really this excited to see it. It's not better really. than Star Trek itself, you idiot. I mean, it is. As, <laughs> it as indeed is the next generation, arguably Voyager, probably Discovery as well. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. But, uh, yeah, really excited. Really excited. Thank you, <laughs> me <laughs> Metal Mickey over there. Uh, really excited. Or Tweaky, that's it, not Metal Mickey. It's tweak oh. Tweaky. Remember from... Carry on, Grandad. Do you want to hear a hot fact, Terry? No, do you hear a hot no, fact? please. Oh. Well, you're going to hear it. Stop. You shouldn't have been making tweaky noises. And since you're referencing Butt Rogers, I will say this. When, back in 2010, uh, I did the very first edition of the Empire iPad edition, and we were doing it, let's be honest, through the night at the last minute, as these things <laughs> tend to be, uh, there was a little picture of, uh, of Tweaky from Butt Rogers on one of the pages, and as a special Easter egg, I had it, so if you touch his face, it goes, beady, beady, beady. 
Can I just say the way you say Buck Rogers makes it sound like Butch Rogers, which I think is like the gay porn version. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure, sure Tweaky's not in that, but he might be. I mean, who am I? To, he does. Is he saying Butch fair, Rogers? If you look at Tweaky's head, his head has a distinctly penis-like shape. I'm so sure. I imagine he does feature in the in the yeah. porn parody. Great. So um, so yeah. But anyway, what we left behind is available in at least one cinema and is crucially coming to the televisions at some point. Is it really in the pictures? Yes, yes, it is. It is, it is in the pictures. And by pictures, Terry means cinemas around the 1950-1960 mark. <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, it is showing at the Prince Charles in London, but it's coming to TV. I don't know where in the UK, but rest assured, You'll when it does, hang on, hang we're on. fucking reviewing it on this podcast. Hang on a goddamn minute. Yes. So actually, mm-hmm. it's a special screening, one-off screening at the Prince Charles. Sure. It might be screening somewhere else. I don't know. That is not a a cinema release. The Prince Charles, for those who don't know, is a brilliant cinema in London where it does special, quirky, weird one-off screenings. That does not constitute a cinema release. So what you're saying is, if that doesn't constitute a cinema release, then it is in fact television and therefore absolutely suitable to be reviewed on this very podcast down the line. Good stuff. Look forward to it. Anything else? Or is that all? No, that's all. Okay, good. Uh, It's time now then... For Funny or Dire, where we take your suggestion of a classic episode of comedy and put it through the most strenuous laugh test known to man. To wit, the howling void where my, where my sense of humour should be. Oh, my God. To it, to I can't believe you just said to, to wit. wit. What's wrong with to wit? Who says that? I mean, me. Apart from, like, Mr. Darcy. <laughs> oh, I like that. I'd be a good Mr. Darcy. Oh, God, you'd be a shite Mr. Darcy. <laughs> I don't know. He's, I'm sorry. He's posh and slightly irritating. He's I think I could absolutely fit that. Actually, yeah, he's posh yeah. and slightly irritating and just needs to get his shit together. Yeah. Yes. There maybe. you go. Darcy me. Anyway, the most strenuous laugh test known to man is, of course, the howling void where my sense of humour should be. And this week's victim <laughs> comes to us via a combination of... <laughs> appropriately, Lawson howling on Twitter and Empire's very own Ben Travis. The former suggested 30 Rock and the latter has blessed us with season two, episode four, Rosemary's Baby, which guest stars Carrie Fisher. Uh, now, Boyd, I'd ask you what you think of this, but I'm not going to. I'm going to say Terry because, of course, you've watched this. What did you think of this? Yes, I have because oh, I really like 30 Rock. Damn it. Oh, Hoping to catch you there. Like, Hoping to catch you. Just like last week when you presumed I would hate... Warrior. She's got already. She's got already. So, yeah. you know. Um, this is amazing. Carrie Fisher has done more than one uh, guest appearance she on has. TV shows. She is brilliant in this as like a kind of future um, nightmare vision um, of what could be. The bit where she takes her to an apartment and she's like, it's just so gritty and real. It's little Chechnya. Um, (laughs) She's amazing in this. She's absolutely amazing. And I love, love, love this episode. But I'm not sure whether this is up your street. Okay. Because, you know, you're... Me. Yeah, I'm me. Because yeah. 30 Rock famously is the absolutely successful and brilliant iteration of an American show all about a Saturday Night Live style series that was a million times better than Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Okay, first of all, wash your mouth out immediately. The Aaron Sorkin created <laughs> yes. Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. I love strip Aaron Sorkin. Is, of course, Almost a as much as you do, but it's not a masterpiece. This is the show that that could have been. Oh, what do you like? Studio 60 was so, glorious. Anyway... But a very well-selected episode, because not only does it yeah. have Carrie Fisher, who is phenomenal in it, but it also has the incredible legendary set piece in which Alec Baldwin does an entire family to Tracy Morgan to give him therapy to go for his daddy issues. And that scene alone is also absolutely brilliant. But you didn't like it, did you? Well. <laughs> so I watched this. And it's... Genius. Oh, and fun. not only did I laugh, I laughed about seven times. <gasps> wow. One oh of which God. I was laughing so much, Ben turned around and went, What is going on? Like, what's this weird sound coming from your throat? And I was just like, And it was actually that scene that destroyed me. Yeah. I laughed first, first and foremost when uh, Tracy, the dogfighting thing, when Tracy's like, We've got to have dogfighting. I was like, That was so ridiculous. It made me laugh. Um, but when the inspired Alec Baldwin as Jack Donaghy does the therapy session with Tracy and starts doing his dad and then does his dad and his mum and then does Tracy himself and then does their upstairs Hispanic neighbour. I was like, this is 
yeah. the greatest piece of television I've ever seen. I could not. I was howling, absolutely mm. howling through it. Oh. His Tracy was incredible as yeah, well. He's fucking brilliant. I mean, yeah. it really was genius. And, and just it's when the uh, when the therapist goes, okay, you know, I think we're just doing good times now. Yeah. <laughs> and at the end, when he's being Tracy's dad, he's like, the, the honkies <laughs> shot me. And you're like, what's happening? But it's amazing, and I love it. Yeah. And yeah, I didn't. I like the the sort of de plot where um. Kenneth is having the page off with the yeah. other page. I could have taken a left. But the, um, but the, but the um, head of the pages, what was he called? They referred to him as, I can't remember, like a king of the... It yeah. was brilliant. Yeah, he, he was, was quite great. funny. So he even the DE funny. plot has a really funny element to it. Uh, the line, <laughs> the term when uh, when uh, Ali Baldwin goes, what's a triangle graph? That made me laugh a lot. I wrote that down at the time. Um... Uh, Carrie Fisher, help me, Liz Lemon, you're my only hope. That bit I didn't like. I was like, no, 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 we didn't need that. But all of the Carrie Fisher stuff was great. Mm. But as ever, I think the best thing in this show is absolutely Alec Baldwin. Like, he's amazing. <laughs> Sorry, that noise just came out of my throat. Uh, it's, that's, a natural, that's a natural Terry response to the sound of me speaking. I think what I mean, Terry's saying is that <laughs> Tina Fey wrote and created and stars in it, and she's fucking good as well. Oh, yeah, she created and it, so you just it, said, credit to her. Well, you know... The best thing in it is Alec Baldwin. Like, the, the whole, the, the reason, I'm just going to say, the reason the other stuff doesn't connect with you as much is because the whole thing about, you know, um, needing to create a life and a career and an existence that's robust enough where it's not so precarious that you could end up being Carrie Fisher is, like, so close to the bone for so many women I know that they massively connects with you. So, of course, you don't get it. No, I fully expect to be living in little Chechnya in my twilight years while people, you know, like gangbangers shoot through the window and the L train goes past, if indeed we had an L train. But uh, but no, this was, this was very, very good. And obviously, continuing our theme of last week, where the uh, the episode of the IT crowd ended with a song entitled, was it I Love Willies? Mm. Uh, this ends with a comment about cat penises. So perhaps this yeah. is a trend for Funny or Dyers going forward. Mm. But uh, but that, yeah, I think a big, big win there for both Ben and, uh, and Lawson for that was... The funniest I have found wow. something on this segment. Have you? Is that the most you've ever laughed in life? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not saying that, you know, if you had bottled that, much like in Monsters, Inc., you could have powered a small monster metropolis, is what I'm saying, I guess. I, I was trying to imagine in my head what it must have sounded like to hear you laugh, and I can't. You know the bit in Revenge of the Sith when the <laughs> Emperor laughs? It's not dissimilar to that. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. I just, I was trying to remember, I was like, did you hear him laughing? I definitely, because I don't think I've, I've heard you laugh like once, I think. I think it was at yourself as well. Oh, almost certainly. I, I bet I said something hilarious. Where does it rank uh, on your the funniest things you've ever watched? Oh, I, I, I don't know, actually, because I, I think I'd be hard-pressed to name without some thought the funniest things. But as I've always said, like the things that I find funniest are always dramas that have comedy in them. So my favourite sort of comedy moments of the 80s would have been in things like Beverly Hills Cop, where they're dramas. Just the funny moments in that are heightened because of the drama. Uh, and I maintain The West Wing is the funniest show that's ever been on television. So, uh, So there you go. Well, wow. uh, and in the Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, which, while not as good as West Wing, is better than 30 Rock. Um, no, it's, right. no, it's not. Anyway, so, uh, well done, Ben. Well done, Lawson. That may be the biggest winner to date. Next week's victim comes from Palelepal, or however you pronounce that, who has suggested, and I go into this with a sense of trepidation, Bojack Horseman, oh. Season 2, Episode 8, called Let's Find Out. And the only thing that makes it worth watching this is the fact that Terry has to watch it as well. <laughs> and I'm almost certain she'll hate it because... <laughs> My biggest regret is I didn't tell you in enough time that we were watching Rick and Morty because I would love to have seen your response to Rick and Morty because much as it made me want to burn television to the ground, I think you might have hated it more. Good. Okay. Bojack so, Horseman is, is the, like, the hipster yeah. animated comedy of, of the moment. Isn't well, it? Yeah. God only knows what we'll make of that one, but we I'm will... I'm going to it with an open mind. Well, of course. You, surely you've seen it, I've seen I've seen early episodes yeah. and I didn't, it didn't connect with me, as they say. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that, that sounds fair. Say it, Boyd. I didn't like it. I didn't it. like it. <gasps> did, was, that, was that tough, Boyd? Was, did that hurt? Yeah, was that strange? Things, yeah, yeah. Is that, what, what, are, like, if, what are the TV shows that Boyd doesn't like? There must be there some. There are loads of things. I've said review things on here that I don't like. No, this, but there'd be things like stereotype Boyd of not me. liking something. It's like, it wasn't as excellent as the other oh, thing I saw this week. <laughs> there's loads of things I didn't like. Um, I didn't like, I didn't like Thingy, the, um, you know, the... Oh, Thingy. Thingy was awful. Thingy, I didn't like the, Thingy. you know, Neil Gaiman... Um, oh, Terry good Maybe you were wrong about that, so it doesn't 
and can't. Well, I like it controversially, yeah. And people love it. Okay. Oh, now, it's it, one example. It's time for news. I believe, Boyd, you wanted to open news this I week. I want to start yeah. with news because I'm incredibly excited about something. That Do might, tell. And it's all about Star Trek Picard. I know. I'm sorry. I mean, the emphasis you put on Pit there is upsetting but this, to me, but sure. We've mentioned yeah. this before, that this that this was possibly going to happen, and this person was associated with this show, and we were like working out, is this really happening? Yep. But now, officially, it has been confirmed by CBS that Michael Chabon, one of the greatest novelists yeah. in the world, two of whose books are among my favourite novels of all time, Wonder Boys and the Yiddish Policeman's Union, and his others are all great as well, is the showrunner yeah. of Star Trek fucking Picard, yeah. Terry. I like how you say I mean, Chibon. And, and Chibon, Picard. Chibon, I don't know. You realise that that's very trochaic of you, boy. I met him, right? I reviewed, I used to review books on the radio every week with Simon Mayo. I did it for about four or five years. Was this before years. The Archer started? Yeah. And uh, we reviewed the Yiddish Policeman's Union with him there, and he was a delight. And I love that fucking book so much. I've reread that book about five or six times. And he's a great man. And I vaguely remember him mentioning Star Trek back then, because Yiddish Policeman's Union kind of, is kind of like an alternate reality mm. thing, where Israel is not where it is and all of that. And But now he's show running this thing. It's yeah. so bizarre that a great novelist, it's like, you know, I don't know, Dostoevsky show running <laughs> fucking <laughs> Fantasy Island or something. I'm sorry. It's so bizarre. Like Dostoevsky wouldn't have jumped at the chance to show run Deep Space Nine. Of course. But I'm just, so I'm now incredibly excited about this show. Good. And rightly so. It's the single greatest thing that's ever happened to television. I think we can all agree that. Isn't that right, Terry? Yes, Terry agrees. Yeah. Anyway, there's a nice quote for him. Star Trek has been an important part of my way of thinking about the world, the future, human nature, storytelling, and myself since I was 10 years old. This could be you talking. It could be me. I come to work every day in a state of joy and awe, having been entrusted with the character in the world of Jean-Luc Picard. I mean, yeah. What <laughs> Terry's is face. wrong with him? Engage. <laughs> yes. Engage. Oh, cannot wait for this. Yeah. Cannot wait for I this. I mean, I'm intrigued. I'm, I'm I would very much like to be beamed intrigued. up to the Picard set any time now. That would be uh, that would be. Excellent. We were aware. Yeah, yeah. Really, <laughs> just mean, a, I'm interested to go to the Picard set now as well. But it's got something for everyone. Like it's got Michael Chabon for you. It's got yep. Picard for me. It's yep. got wine for Terry. Like there's something for everyone there. <laughs> I am I am going to detest every minute of it when it finally starts. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have you in for the six-hour special oh, celebrating the return of Jean-Luc. Oh, you look a bit like Jean-Luc Picard. Thanks, Terry. That may genuinely be the I mean, nicest you thing you've do. ever said yeah, to me. You Why have we not mentioned that before? I don't know. You are kind of like a bit younger. In the nicest Stewart. way, I wish I looked like Patrick Stewart. But uh, Oh, yeah, like he's, he's, like, he's rocking he's it. Like hot. my goal. He's what? My goal is to look like Patrick Stewart when I am Patrick Stewart's age. That oh, is yeah. my goal. You, you're not Patrick Stewart's He's, he's rocking yeah. a bald I mean, head. Admittedly, Patrick Stewart has looked the age he is now since he was in his mid-30s, but nevertheless. Mm. There is an um, amazing um, fake picture of him with hair oh, that yes. gets circulated Oh, no, no, every... that's a real picture. No, it isn't. No, you mean the one with him with the awful wig, which yeah. is what he wore for... He That's what they put him in originally when he tried out for Jean-Luc Picard in Star Trek Next Generation. <laughs> and the producers went, oh, okay, fine, you can cast him, but for the love of God, take that off his head. And so they just went full uh, silver right. fox bald. Right. But yeah, the, the wig is amazing. Although if you ever see him, because obviously he was Royal Shakespeare Company, there's an excellent picture of him as Eno Barbus in Anthony Cleopatra where he has <laughs> flowing tresses. Almost... Klingon-like locks, I would oh, say. Oh, God. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Uh, it's a good look. Right, anyway. There's probably other news, anyway. You can sure, go sure. There might be. Um, Maisie Williams is doing a comedy. She's doing a, it's a Sky original comedy uh, called Two Weeks to Live, which she's going to be filming later next it year. Sounds so. like lols. <laughs> yeah, it does sound, it does sound uh, like your kind of comedy, Terry. Um, yeah, yeah, it should be fun. So, so it's, it's interesting because Lena Headey has also announced her her first sort of post-Thrones project as well. Uh, and is? were I better <laughs> Could, at you my job, <laughs> I would have prepared it. She but... is also <laughs> in Dark Crystal. Oh, yeah, she's also right. in Dark Crystal, but there's yeah. something yeah. else. Like she, She's leading, it's a Showtime, it's a cable yeah, show that she's she's the lead in. But for the life of me, I can't remember either the name of it or what it's about. I've, got it. I've weirdly got that very page open right now. She will play the lead role in Rita, That's a new Showtime oh. drama about an unorthodox teacher She'll also be executive producing the show, which is based on a Danish series of the same name. Okay. Well, Maisie's, on the other hand, follows the story of a young misfit named Kim Noakes, who lives a secluded country life. 
When an unlikely prank goes wrong, she finds herself on the run from a murderous gangster and the police with a massive bag of stolen cash. With the survival techniques she picked up from her upbringing, however, she must just get through. That's the official synopsis. Wow. Yeah. You had that voice, though, when you said those names that Terry was referring oh, to last my week. Ins- yeah. my insufferable yeah. smug voice. Yeah. yeah. The weird voice you put on when you say weird when sci-fi I start names. Talking about, uh, when I start talking about the Benny Gesserit <laughs> witches of exactly. Frank Herbert's Dune. Exactly. Yeah. Um, um, I want to talk about this weird House of Lords thing. Ooh. Did anyone else get this press release? I had to go on the internet to check it was legit, as the kids say. Yeah. So... Lords to ask Netflix if they are unwilling to co-produce shows with British production companies. So next Tuesday, Netflix have been called in front of the House of Lords to be questioned about their willingness to work with British companies. And they'll also be joined by um, ITV's uh, CEO. Um, And it's basically this uh, discussion due to an inquiry on the future of public service broadcasting in the age of video on demand. Um, I was like, I don't understand how, where this has come from. No, or weird, like, yeah. What do the House of Lords have to do with whether we're watching too many American shows made by Netflix, which seems to be their point uh, they're getting at. So the issue is um, Netflix makes too much American stuff. So t- topics for discussion include... Netflix's role in the TV sector, supporting diversity of talent, including regional productions, tax relief, and Netflix's relationships with productions partners. It is so weird because Netflix is already working with, you know, British channels, BBC Channel 4, do co-productions with Netflix already. Um, and they've got a, a British production arm headed up yeah. by Anne Mensah, who's brilliant, who used to be head of drama at Sky. Um, and... I think it's. It, it, I did see it, and I thought it was bewildering. Yeah, absolutely yeah. bewildering. No, it's it's like, like politicians suddenly decide we've got to do something about this thing called Netflix. Well, do what? No, like no one said, knows. He said some people have questioned its commitment to making British programming, except to serve American audiences. The committee well, will ask Netflix if this is a fair assessment. It's like they don't understand what Netflix is, do they? Yeah, or like, what, telly all, <laughs> what telly is. What telly is? They're yeah. making shows with American yeah. people in them. It is fucking ridiculous. Yeah. It's nuts. That, but, but Netflix are turning up. Um, yeah, I guess it would be, just it would for the lulls, rude, I yeah. think. <laughs> yeah, I think it would seem bad if they didn't. But yeah, I mean, it's, it'd, be, it'd be interesting to know what nonsense they come up with. And you can watch all eight episodes of that when they drop on Friday, the 14th of July. I'm not sure the Friday is the 14th of July, but, you know, that's humour. Um, Michael Chitlis has got another job. So that's good. Love Michael Chitlis, a.k.a. Vic Mackey from The Shield. Uh, he is going to appear in... Uh, a US-Mexico border drama called Coyote. Ooh. Yeah. He plays Ben Clemens, who after 32 years as a border patrol agent is forced to work for the very people he spent his career trying to keep out of America. Now exposed to life on the other side of the wall, hashtag build the wall, Ben will start to question his black and white views of the world, challenging his ideology and his loyalties. I can't decide if this is a kind of Trumpian propaganda thing. Yeah. But either way, I, it doesn't... It doesn't bode well because uh, Michael Chitlis is amazing like genuinely amazing and I bemoan the fact that none of the things he's really done post-Shield have ever really taken off and I include obviously Tim Story's Fantastic Four in this but uh, you know like uh, like No Ordinary Family or Las Vegas a lot of the series he's done sadly have kind of got cancelled pretty early on Uh, so maybe this will break the trend although I must admit it doesn't sound essential viewing no and it sounds kind of that everything from the name to the description sounds like classic yeah. Right? Border mm. patrol. Yeah. Probably going through a difficult divorce. <laughs> what do you smell of? Oh, cheap aftershave and regret and only seeing your kids on Saturdays. Yeah. Not a stretch for Chicklet. No, but he no, he's amazing. I'll hear nothing said bad about Chicky. Of course. Thanks very much. Of course. <laughs> Chicky. Uh, Chicky. As yeah. we call him. Love Chicky. Um, as you mentioned earlier, Lena Heedy has joined the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, as indeed has a Benedict Wong and some other people, including Aquafina. The list of um, uh, voice stars oh, for that ridiculous. series is I know. absolutely... It's got like the Weavers in it as well now. I mean, if you're not in it, you're nobody. I mean, it really is. It's, it's, got, it's like Dune, isn't it? It's like, if you're not in this, I don't well, know what you're doing. Well, everything's like Dune in your brain. That's very true. That is very true. <laughs> Did you see that um, the details of Steve McQueen's series have been revealed? I didn't. Steve McQueen is doing a series of BBC drama 
the Steve McQueen of 12 Years a Slave, mm. etc. fame. And it's called... You can't say the Steve McQueen. No, you no, I mean, him. Yeah. Uh, the, the, you, the, you the living Steve McQueen. The other Steve McQueen. The alive and very talented <laughs> writer-director Steve McQueen. He is creating this show called Small Axe. It's going to be... Um, it's five different stories. It's an anthology series set within London's West Indian community in the late 60s through to the early 80s. And among the stars are John Boyega and Letitia Wright. It sounds great. Good stuff. Yeah, that does sound good. Mm. John Boyega and Letitia Wright. Yeah. Mm. And Rashenda Sandal, who was in Line of Duty, who's great. And there's loads of great people in it, yeah. Have you been watching Serengeti? Has that aired yet? No, that's uh, this week. I heard that's going to John Boyega narrates. Oh that, yeah, he narrates he? Like it, it's yeah. a dramatized. Uh, dramatized. How? 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 I don't understand Dram- the mockery. Dramatized. It's not really. Dra- I mean, it's a. It's a. It's a. Um, yeah, but it's not a nature program. The antelopes swoop over. Well, I think they anthropomorphize. The is that the word? Um, yeah, like so they give them characters. So it'd be like Steve the antelope is prancing along with Clive the antelope as he goes through the savannah. Who knew so you were that excited what about? Is that <laughs> this is a wildlife series that's coming out with John Bagan narrating. Basically. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, David E. Kelly mm. yeah. is writing and exec producing uh, a CBS series of The Lincoln Lawyer. Uh, obviously, uh, Matthew McConaughey played him in the movie adaptation, but this is uh, this is based on um, Michael Connolly's books. So obviously, very famous for. Who's he famous for? Who's he famous for, Boyd? Bosch. Bosch. Famous for Bosch. Yeah. Uh, Michael Connolly, the, the of creator tongue. of Bosch. Yes. One of the greatest and most overlooked shows on this podcast. Um, <laughs> this, we didn't review season five. Yeah, but this is interesting. So this is on CBS and this is going to be the Lincoln Lawyer. So in like the Bosch books, Bosch and Mickey Haller, they cross over. But this being on CBS and Bosch being an Amazon original, presumably there will be no crossover. Mm-hmm. So that's upsetting. Okay. But, this, but this is good. It's it's interesting one. So David E. Kelly is the godly man behind Ali McBeal, The Practice and Whatnot. And uh, and he's going to be doing this. I'm, and Big I'm, Little Lies. And Big Little Lies. Mm. And I'm very much down with this. Have we been keeping up with Big Little Lies, by the way? No. I have. Oh, my God. It's so great. Is it? Yeah. It's really I'm great. watching it uh, like in real time. Yeah. With That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we're up to three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which we were up to anyway. Because oh, we reviewed it based on three episodes. <laughs> well, you did. I haven't watched all the episodes. All right. All right. It's not my fault if you're like lazy and couldn't be bothered. <laughs> like. Um... Anyway, so that's good. The Lincoln Lawyer revolves around Mickey Haller, who's a lawyer, and he has a Lincoln. Excellent. Um, now, here's a question I'm going to ask you, Boyd. You're in the know, and you have. Are you going to let Terry hands. do any news stories? Absolutely not. <laughs> She's no, hovering. No can... one needs to know what Ken Loach is doing at the moment. Let's just carry on. <laughs> now, now, I'm going to ask you a question, Boyd. What's with the donkeys? Explain this to me. I don't know. Do you not know what I'm talking about? No. Okay. No, I don't know what you're so, talking about. What happened is Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul both simultaneously tweeted a picture of two donkeys standing next to each other with the word soon. Oh, okay. Isn't that the Breaking Bad movie, presumably? That's what's happening, isn't it? They're doing a Breaking Bad movie. But it's two donkeys, and it says soon. Is that what it is? Is it the movie? I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. Everybody knows they're working on a movie. Could it be the movie? I mean, I don't know. I'd say yes. (laughs) Yeah. Terry's rearranged her headphones so it looks like a halo. This is not weird at all. I to do a news story about an hour. Uh, Go on, Terry. What is the latest uh, Shane Meadows TV project that you wish to share with us? I wanted to talk about uh, Trust Me being cancelled. Did you see that, Boydie? Yes. Um, So I think it's essentially... Well, I think it was a mixture of... um, Difficult ratings in the last season, and then Jodie Whittaker, who's obviously now in Doctor Who, mm. which I presume means that she has no time to also be in Trust Me. Um, so they just cancelled it, which I've, I mean, is it a big loss? Oh, they, well, they did a completely different second series. Yeah. With like, you know, a, a totally different story that was medical thriller. And I quite liked it, actually. But you'd think if they create a show. Where, with a huge star who's then gone off, and then they have to yeah. create a diff- they'd have to create a different med- hospital set thriller that is entirely enclosed in that world where you don't whether you do or don't know whether the medics are are deliberately killing people, which has been the same kind of story all the way through. It'd be it would be a bit, bit it'd be pushing it. It'd be a stretch. Exactly. I mean, it's yeah. like the so sugar babes, isn't it? <laughs> exactly like the sugar babes. Yeah. I mean, they should have just left. They should have done that. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Leave it. Um, there's a little bit of movement, though, not particularly... It's not exactly news, but it's almost news. So, you know, uh, CBS All Access are doing the stand. 
adaptation of Stephen oh, yeah. King's The Stand. Uh, they have not announced any casting, but they have announced who's in negotiations for the various roles. Apparently, Ooh. this is kind of, I say announced, it's kind of leaked, I think. Mm. Uh, but uh, James Marsden is in, in, in negotiations to play Stu, which is, which is pretty exciting. Whoopi Goldberg is in negotiations to play Mother Abigail. That's very oh. exciting. I'm, I'm absolutely down, down with that. Who else is in here? Uh, Greg Kinnear as Glenn Bateman. There's another possible one. Uh, I don't this this I'm I'm properly excited about this. The stand is fantastic. I've even got a lot of time for the really sort of shitty nineties miniseries, uh, which terrible. I really enjoyed. It was terrible. I mean, was it terrible? Yes, yeah, yes, it, it was. was. But nevertheless, I do like it. Okay. So, so mm. down for that. I mean, who knows if any of these people will end up actually being in the show? But if they are, then good. I feel like everything Stephen King's ever been ever written is constantly being adapted into either a TV or film. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, just on a constant loop. And 90% of it is absolute yeah, shy. dross, yeah. It is, it's true though, isn't it? It's like when it's not absolutely dross, it's like a shining moment of like, oh my God, like it was good. And that was like, oh, thank fuck, they made a, actually a good film. So this. Are you saying that you're not going to go to bat for the Tommy Knockers? No. Or Needful Nor things. Pet Cemetery either. Yeah, well, that's Dark Tower. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> Absolute dog shit. All right, you may be onto something. Yeah. Okay. Right, that is enough of news. Time now to move on to this week's reviews. Uh, first up this week is the long-awaited return of the Duffer Brothers' Stranger Things, which moves the action from Halloween to the 4th of July, allowing the series to bust out its 80s summer fashion collection. Uh, season 3 takes place a mere six months after Stranger Things 2, which is interesting, given that some of its stars are a clear foot taller than they were last time. But anyway, uh, this continues in the same vein as the previous seasons, with yet more unholy horrors from the Upside Down invading the town of Hawkins, Indiana. Uh, I watched all eight episodes of this and enjoyed every minute of it. I thought it was great. Um... I think the, I, I'm not going to use the term "return to form" because that implies that season two was rubbish, which it wasn't. And the problem with season two is it was like a rerun of season one. It mm. wasn't sufficiently different. They did that classic thing where they thought, "Oh, so we had one enemy. Let's have lots of enemies that are a bit similar." So they replaced the Demogorgon from season one with lots of Demo dogs, which were objectively a bit shit, <laughs> uh, even if one of them was called D'Artagnan. Um, and 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 I think it was a bit of a shame. And people people gave that series a lot of shit, and rightly for certain aspects. Aspects, but then they they often rag on that one episode where Eleven fucks off somewhere else and mm. meets up with loads of other sort of like superpowered kids. And weirdly, I found that the most interesting episode because it was the only one where they kind of broke the formula and tried to do something new. What I like most about season three is they have tried to do something new. They've changed the setting, so it's not sort of like drab autumnal kind of colours and Halloween set. It's the it's the height of summer, which crucially means there's no school, so it's a very different kind of narrative format there. You know, they've been separated. Dustin's been off at a camp, like a nerdy, nerdy nerd camp. tech nerd camp uh, and, and got a quote-unquote girlfriend uh, who conveniently lives in Utah. And, uh, and you know, they've got summer jobs, they're all doing different things and... Um, it allows a very different visual palette because of the colours. You know, the hanging out at the mall, that's a whole new thing, the inclusion of the mall, which turns out to be an important plot point. Um, but more than that, I think, and, and I reviewed this for Empire, so I have talked about this already, but this, it, it feels like... Whereas, People haven't read it yet, though, have they? They haven't, because it's not out. So, so you talked so, about it in your own mind. I talked about it <laughs> in my own mind when I wrote the review, which you haven't read, but I have read, so I'm repeating myself, but only to me. Um it feels like the first season was very much a love letter to Amblin, to Steven Spielberg and Steven Spielberg and King, I'm saying. Yes. Whereas this one has a, a, a healthy dose of John Hughes to it. Uh, it's colourful, it's more fun. Uh, they really, really lean into the comedy on this one. And I think the other two, like especially season one, genuinely very frightening. Had some laughs in it, but it is kind of a, it's a spooky horror. This is a flat-out comedy. Uh, it has horror elements in it, but I think it's more sort of schlock horror. It's not proper creepy horror. Uh, this really actually made me laugh in places. I, I enjoyed it enormously. Uh, Steve the Hare Harrington returns and has gone from being like uh, season one's mega douche to being, I think, the best character in this. He's fantastic. Um, uh, Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman's daughter, Maya Hawke, is in this. A new character called Robin. I enjoyed her a lot as well. Uh, and the benefit of this one is it's not just the core boys anymore. They've broadened, they broadened the, the, the cast. I mean, significantly. Like, everyone gets a lot more time. And mm. I think, on the one hand, it changes the dynamic, but it also allows them to have interesting 
interesting pairings of characters. I think Dustin and Steve are a great pairing with Robin as well. Uh, and I really enjoyed Max, who returns from season two, her and Eleven having sort of girl time mm-hmm. together, uh, played by Sadie Sink. That's that's really fun as well. So, yeah, big, big fan of season three of uh, Stranger Things. Um, I'm going to stop talking now and let someone else speak. Unbelievably, I agree with you. You yes. are correct. I was lucky enough to spend time on set for Pilot TV magazine. Oh, yes, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, thank fuck. Of course you forgot. Yeah. Um, can't believe it. Can't believe you didn't read my feature. I did read just your feature. Unbelievable. I just then instantly forgot it. All those things you mentioned, I mentioned. Um, the setting. But I so I mainly got to see the mall, this incredible recreation of of, of an 80s mall. The Starcourt Mall. Actual life-size mall. I mean, it's a mall, isn't it? It is a mall. <laughs> but what was interesting, the most interesting element of talking to all the young cast particularly, is they all said at some point or other that the way their characters have developed and those pairings you talk mm. about came from the Duffer brothers watching them interacting with each other in real life. Interesting. So it's kind they've kind of been inspired by so for example the friendship between um, Gator Matarazzo's Dustin and um, Joe Curry Steve which you mentioned which is kind of weird why yeah. would this young kid end up being friends yeah. with the older teen working as the artist that came from them bonding in real life and, they, and that is a brilliant thing that friendship similarly the female friendships are really good um, and you know Eleven's bonding with um, Max thank you Max works really well again that was that came from them in real life being friends and all of that I think makes the show so mm. much um, I think it's a huge improvement on season And Hopper two. and Joyce get loads right. more screen time. So all, and, and you're right, they, they now intercut between the three generations, like the adults, the kind of late teens and the and the teens that are just arriving and, you know, kind of at pu- post-puberty, if yeah, you like, yeah, yeah. to be specific. And that works really well. I, I, I love it. I, I really, really love it. I'm, I was slightly, slightly disappointed with series two because it definitely yeah, was like a yeah, revamp, yeah. a remake. It wasn't Now original. it feels new and yeah. fresh. And it's the summer of 85 and, just, and they've got Back to the Future in their day, the dead's yeah. in there. But I think all of that, you can, all of the nerdy references are there and there's you know there's a very there's a shining thing a whole shining thing going on with Steve we don't want to spoil anything there's lots of almost shots that actually reference other classic films but it's the depiction of the teenage characters and their like sensitivities and mm. their you know kind of trying to deal with them starting to have girlfriends and starting to have relationships and being jealous of them all those things that's where it works for me because I think that's really yeah. brilliantly handled because they've grown up isn't it they, they've gone from basement dwelling D&D yeah. players to oh they've discovered yeah. members of the opposite yeah. sex and kind of fumbling through that which is where the John Hughesiness comes into it yeah, but what's funny is when they spoke to you they did say oh you know it's darker this time around it's like it's, it's the complete well, opposite of darker this I don't time want to around tell you I don't think it's an out and out comedy that's ridiculous I know I genuinely for it's me not. this is a comedy <laughs> it's not it's got funny the dialogue is witty and funny and the way they interact with each other is, is brilliantly smart and, and but it's not a comedy it's, it's, still not, got, it's not scary it's still got it scary, isn't scary it has got scary mm, monstery elements I don't know it's got monstery elements. I, mean, but I don't find hardly anything scary. It's schlock horror. It's not right, creepy horror. horror. But it's and not I think, comedy, you idiot. But it is. Even the even it's the not. even the even the monster bits are played often for laughs. Like there's a lot of humour, like really through this, where it's there's it's gone from having a lot of humour being a comedy. Yeah, but it's it's gone from we are a horror show with comic relief to this is a funny show and it has horror in it. And it's like the weight, like the dominance, is now on laughs as opposed to scares. Right, but you that. and I <laughs> have been white male explaining this for at least the last ten minutes, while Terry just glares daggers at us. So our very own Demogorgon, <laughs> Terry, what did you think? So I've never watched an episode of Stranger Things before. Whoa. How can that be true? It is true. I have told you this before. See, but this, I remember now. Like this is a show I think you would genuinely <laughs> well, like. Okay, so when it came out, um, I didn't watch it the first weekend and then everybody was banging on about it. And as is my way, oh God, I yeah. was like, fuck this. You I'm hate, not getting on that bandwagon. Yeah, you hate a bang on. I, so, and I was like, it's just like Harry Potter all over again. I'm not doing it. <laughs> so I deliberately and obtrusely didn't watch it. Um, and so I, this is the first episode I've ever seen of Stranger Things. So I, my reaction that I am going to share with you is that of a complete newbie. Okay. Um, so... Then, and I'm sure I'm I'm like two seasons late to this, but the nostalgia, like my skin was yeah. on fire. Happy it's place, so lovely. Like mm. the just the sound when they're in the they go to the pictures to see Day of the Dead, and they walk through the mall and they sit down, and then the the it starts to play the music and says, "Welcome to our feature presentation." The the bit that always used to play after the previews and that still plays in between Tarantino films. If you watch if you watch an entire mm. or a two part Tarantino film, it's still broken with the same thing. And hearing it, I was like, oh my god, <laughs> it's so magical! Like the way they've built that and they built it practically right, yeah. as you were just saying, and it's in your piece. 
it, the detail is extraordinary. Like just the neon and the sa- I mean the soundtrack, the score for it. It was a bit um, uh, electric boogaloo breaking yeah. to. Yeah. It was a little bit Beverly Hills Cop. It mm. was just it's like a fucking overwhelming lovely wash of nostalgia which really like actually floored me a little mm. bit first and that was kind of my overriding experience i know what you're saying about the comedy because it wasn't as scary as i was expecting it to be there were a couple of shots there was one actually in the cinema which with i think will noah mm, yeah. the one with the bowl mm, yeah, yeah um there's a whole sequence like really fast um quite scary sequence with him and then there's something a little bit later on um that I don't explain because it'll spoil mm. it for you if you haven't seen it but there are a couple of kind of quite isolated like things that I found quite frightening but the tone of it is not what I was expecting the tone is much lighter and mm. much more playful um the lovely thing about um uh uh what's her name Millie Eleven, Bobby Brown. 11, 11. Yeah. and Bobby them Brown. like snogging all the mm. time, and yes, like having enough. to get told, like you know, to stop snogging yeah, and yeah. always keep the door open three inches. Keep the door, <laughs> yeah. all that lovely, all that lovely, authentic detail of being a kid at that exact age when you're not a kid anymore, but mm. you're not mm. an adult, and being on that precipice. And I only got time to watch one episode before this podcast, and now I'm like. I don't want to watch anymore. I want to go back, yeah, go back. and start. Mm. I want to start mm. season one, and now I'm fully like. The I don't even want to be. But... I don't even want to be sat here talking to you. Today. I, I completely <laughs> understand that on so many levels. Um, uh, but I love. I mean, I can't remember having that kind of because nostalgia is so overused yeah, in pop culture is. today on every level on every medium. But it's done so beautifully, mm. and so like the emotional connection is is pretty mm, profound, yeah. actually. The attention to detail is the thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's it like really every is. single thing: the boomboxes in the radio shack, and the books in the Walden yeah. books, and yeah. the, the color. It is absolutely that is what gets you. It's like because other show, I think other shows almost are scared off of the nostalgia a bit. Yeah. They might be set and they go, oh, "We don't want to overdo it." This is like we are fucking yeah. m- m- wallowing. Go big or every, go home. Go big or go. They're wallowing <laughs> in every single element of it. Yeah. It is that is the just even down thing, to yeah. all of the shows from the summer of '85, which are showing yeah. at their local cinema, yeah. from Daryl to Fletch to yeah. Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Uh, yeah, it's I I really love this. I mean, there is horror in this. The scariest thing in it is without a doubt Finn Wolfhard's hair. <laughs> but uh, it's yeah. the same thing. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it, it really is horrific. Uh, Maya um, Hawke is my favourite. She is so fucking brilliant. Yes, she is. Uh, just a which perf- one? She? So she's the Robin um, who Robin worked- who works with. Um, hair dude yes. in the ice cream parlour who knows yeah. Russian yes um, she is so she, she's a character they are brilliant writers because yes, as soon they as they arrive you see them for five minutes you're like I know who this person mm. is yeah. and not in a one dimensional way and she gets better and better and better throughout and she's such a brilliant yeah. and she's a fantastic and these kids um, have actor. really inhabited those characters mm. by this point like they've really grown into them they feel really rounded and, and very naturalistic in this yeah I enjoyed this enormous but the thing is it's just, it's just so much fun and they're so likeable yeah. Also looks brilliant. You know, you know they take the they film it on digitally as everything's filmed, mm. and but they get um, stock from eighties films and they overlay it to give yeah. it a grain of amazing. an eighties film. That's that amazing. kind of thing pays off. Attention to detail. Yeah. Uh, yes, this is great. I, I enjoyed all eight of these, and you will too. That is Stranger Things three, and it drops on Netflix on Thursday, the fourth of July. Uh, next up is Waco. This is a mini series that aired in the US in January 2018. So we've been waiting a while for this one, but uh, proving that it's never too late to uh, caress a party. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> uh, Waco finally arrives on these shores, starring Taylor Kitsch, Riggins himself, as uh, cult leader David Koresh, and Michael Shannon as an FBI hostage negotiator. Uh, it also stars Andrea Riseborough and Rory Culkin. And this charts the 1993 standoff in Waco, Texas, between law enforcement and the Branch Davidians. Uh, what did you make of this, Terry? But it's funny because we've talked about this a lot recently and I suppose it's the nature of the kind of TV we talk about is kind of the responsibility when it comes to talking about real life events and where the line is between um, entertainment and how much is information versus speculation. So I felt kind of torn on this. I thought there was, I mean, the cast is incredible. Let's be mm. I mean, Michael Shannon, I mean, he is, he's classic Michael Shannon in this, all reserved and quite cold and officious, and, but he's Michael Shannon. Um, 
Rory Culkin, I thought was really great. Mm. He was your eyes in there as kind of, you know, the newbie to this world, yeah. still trying to work it out. Andre Riseborough is a fucking goddess. Like, please let me like get on your back and ride you like your opponent. Oh my god. You're amazing. <laughs> um okay. but actually who I really loved was Taylor Kitsch, who plays Dave Koresh, as you said, who has once you get over the fact he looks fucking ridiculous because they've given him a mullet cut and he's wearing glasses, where he looks initially like he's in some kind of weird fancy dress. Once you get over that <laughs> You, he's very charming and really charismatic and you can completely see how he charmed people and he's got this sense of normality there's this brilliant bit where they're like a covers a rock covers band yeah. um, the kind of the weird normality because actually if you're a cult leader not all of your life is spent making big grand epic speeches there's the bits in between yes, as well yes you're playing shitty rock exactly. bands as well Um <laughs> I suppose my only thing is, and I watched the first episode, is there was, maybe it's an attempt to be even-handed or whatever, but I don't know if you have to be even-handed when you're talking about a fucking cult leader and, mm. and you know, mass suicide, but there there is a sense of some sympathy, I think, or it wasn't perhaps as, as clear as you would have expected it to be in terms of where the moral compass sits on this story. I don't know if that shifts as it goes on. Um, it is several episodes, but I don't know. Something slightly unsettled me, and I don't know if it was an attempt to kind of show everybody's perspectives mm. and show kind of everything and the fault on all sides and the police don't come out of it necessarily perfectly. Um, there was something about it that wasn't quite connecting or just slightly unsettled me. I still am not 100% sure that what that was, but... I wasn't entirely convinced mm. by it, I have to well, say. Well, there's some ambiguity historically about... I mean, spoiler, this doesn't end well. Uh, <laughs> but uh, there's some ambiguity about where the fault lies for some of that. Yes. So I think what they're trying Empire to do in this... I mean, this yeah. is based on a book of the account. And uh, they try and show that the FBI is indeed flawed, especially yes. in their handling of the, the Ruby Ridge incident. Yes. Uh, and so that kind of lays some some groundwork for the ambiguity And they, do, they spend a lot of time laying that context down, They do, right? yeah. Uh, and then you spend some time with I really more than anything else it's just made me despair because it brought back all the memories of what this was about and what a fucking bellend David Koresh was where you know he he made it so all his followers had to be celibate but he King. would quote unquote take on the burden of sex and he would sleep with all the women himself oh thanks David that's really useful when he you. said that uh, to um, to Rory Cole yeah, yeah it was with a straight face um, yeah could, you, like, um, could you be yeah, celibate what? because and he said exactly yeah. that because I have to take the burden of the sex on so yeah. you dickhead and like you know historically Koresh was like I mean some of the brides were like 13 years mm. old like, it was really prominent there was a child abuse in fact, that's what called the FBI in the mm. first place. It was partly uh, they were amassing firearms there, but also yeah. like he was, uh, you know, abusing physically his his child, and that was was one of the pretexts they used for for storming the compound. Uh, which there was a protracted siege at the end of it. I mean, this was incredibly famous at the time because it went mm. on forever. Um, but yeah, I thought this was, this was really good. I've only seen the first episode. I mm. haven't seen how this pans out. Shannon's brilliant. Taylor Kitsch, Riggins. Come on, Riggins. This could be Riggins the later years, couldn't it, Boyd? That's the character from Friday Night Lights. It is indeed. In case people don't know what the he fuck he gets a bit old, about. gets glasses, gets a mullet, starts a cult because <laughs> yeah. you know football didn't work out for him, so yeah. it could happen. Taylor Kitsch is really good. He is, um, yeah. which I think is easy to forget because he's such a handsome, mm. you know, lead, leading man kind of actor that you he think oh, he's actually really good. It is very wiggy, I thought. Like, I, yeah. I agree, it's rather off-putting. The, I mean, I think actually um, Rory Culkin's hair is even yeah. wiggier, <laughs> and it's more like it's just <laughs> I'm not convinced by the wigs, yeah. and I feel like. It's not quite as well done in terms of the production and everything as possibly it could have been. I'm, I'm slightly nitpicking. Mm. I am obsessed with this kind of thing, with cults, you know, mm. with weird cults, where the question is, how do, how do these people fall for this for this man who's mm. having sex with whoever he wants and telling yeah. them to be celibate and having his own weird interpretations of the Bible? And, you, and I think it's doing a pretty good job of making it, of showing you that he's grooming people who he preys upon vulnerable people. So mm. Rory Culkin's character has been bullied a bit. Mm. And um, he's a bit of a loner and an outsider and a misfit. And that's what he's clearly been doing, is preying on those kind of people. But And yet, you are meeting a lot of people seemingly perfectly intelligent. One of his followers is a professor right. of theology. Right. You're like, um, Yeah. Really? So it's, it, 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 but of course, this did happen. Yes, so it yes. it's up to the drama to try and make it believable. And it hasn't done it yet, as far mm. as I'm concerned. I, I also have only watched the first episode. And I will carry on watching it, because I'm obsessed with this kind of thing. I'm f fascinated by these cult leaders mm. who get 
intelligent people yeah. following their well, absolute bullshit. Weirdly, the thing about this that kind of made me lament is that this is obviously the sexy part of it. It's the storm and the siege of the compound. Yeah. But what happened before all that is arguably more fascinating, where this was a cult that had certain leaders, and then there was infighting between the leaders, a battle for dominance of the cult, and then yeah. one of them getting, you know, they're trying to get him sort of framed for a crime, and then one of them went to prison, and then the heir got involved. Like, so they, it was almost like a sort of like a dynastic cult leader mm-hmm. battle for supremacy. Mm. And weirdly, I'd quite like to see that series. Well, weirdly, as you said, it, the book it's based on is is the Michael Shannon character's book as the hostage negotiator. Mm. So that's why there's such an emphasis on that element of it, yeah. which I think is, yeah. I'm interested in it, but I feel like some of the scenes with him kind of being very hostage negotiatory <laughs> with his FBI scenes are kind of cliched, yeah. really, yeah. that you get in anything like this. And it's a bit of a shame in a way that it's not, for me, more about how the fuck did these people end up following this cult? Yeah. But I'm going to watch Rush But it's good. It was good. It's uh, it's probably not destined to become a uh, cult cult series. Whoa. But uh, but anyway, it's good. Mm. And it airs on a channel I've never heard of called Alibi on Monday, July the 1st <laughs> at 9pm. It's part of UK TV. Is it? Yeah. Alibi. Alibi. The Alibi, alibi channel. channel. It's is this crime like, is like when you commit a Terry crime... Terry would love Alibi. You I mean, tell them made for her. When you commit a crime, you say, oh, I couldn't have committed it. I was at home watching, watching the Waco... On the Alibi channel. I see what you've done there. It's good. It's good. It's good. Yeah. good, good, good humour. Very good. Um, right. Finally, this week is season three of Noah Hawley's Legion, which most people have probably forgotten exists, but <laughs> still does. Charming. Um, this returns Dan Stevens to our screens as mega-powered mutant David Haller, torn from the pages of the X-Men, and here up to his arse in The Shadow King, Summerland, Division 3, and a number of other buzzwords that serve to obscure the fact that I've entirely forgotten Season 1 and missed Season 2 entirely. However, I did willingly dive back in for Season 3, and... Uh, willingly. Well, we knew we were reviewing it for this. Podcast. I mean, that's really why I did it. Yes. So, so I have, <laughs> I have a confession to make. So, right. I watched this whole episode. Yeah. Oh, well done. But the thing you have to understand is this: I watched it, and <laughs> for the first sixteen minutes, my headphones were not properly plugged in what? to my iPad. They were plugged in, but not properly plugged in. So not all... Of, so basically, the result was this. That I was like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. So this main character, who is Switch, is this time traveller. I was like, well, I think she's supposed to be deaf, and that's why the sound is really weird. I'm like, and she doesn't speak for the first 50 minutes, because you start with those weird subtitles. I'm like, okay, oh so the God. subtitles threw me. Because the subtitles made me think, okay, well, the subtitles mean that clearly you're not supposed to be able to hear what she's saying. And then she's mouthing stuff, but you just hear this weird mumble like she's underwater, and this sound sounds really tinny and distorted. And I was like, this is audacious. It's bold television making. I, I applaud the fact that we're quarter of an hour in and there's been no dialogue. Like, this is incredible. And then I nudged my headphones and realised that they weren't plugged in and I actually just hadn't had the sound on properly. Were you watching on a train? Yes. Like that? Oh, my God. People train. must be like, what the... F- oh, yeah. So, so I'm like, oh. How annoying. Oh, right. Okay, so actually I was supposed to understand what she was saying. She's not deaf. It was me that just wasn't mm. hearing it. So that aside, like taking that out of it, I still don't think I understood much of what was going on. Yeah, so I wrote, oh, I just said, put the microphone, but I seem to have lost awareness of space and time. Terry's lost her depth perception in <laughs> Legion. Just yeah. battering her head against the mic. Hello. I would like to say that I wrote in my notebook, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What is happening, Boyd? I mean, Boyd? just to be clear, I don't know. in this, there was subtitles, there was an ashram, there was a pregnant virgin, there was a weird it's other a place, musical. there was the Shadow King. There were lots of versions of him, of his character. Yes, who interrupts a time, time traveller in a yeah. weird, and then she disappears into a tea tray. And There's a musical like, opening number. Yeah, I've just said the well, It was silent for me, <laughs> sorry, so... I didn't hear the musical at the well, I was And there's also probably a, vagi- a talking <laughs> vagina in there, let's be honest. They're there's actually, no, because you in the picture of the pregnant virgin, virgin, the illustration, I was like, is that a vulva? I'm oh confused. Um, the weird thing about Legion, and I thought this about the first series, and I, I think about it about 10 times, I think the same thing 10 times now that I've seen this episode yeah. of season three, is that every shot is beautiful. Yes. It's designed to within an inch of its life. Yeah. yeah. It's like a fucking... It's like every single Steve, Stanley, Stephen Kubrick film. Stanley Kubrick <laughs> I film. I love Stephen Kubrick. He's like, great. Yeah. Um, kind of writ large and in, turned into a TV series. It looks so expensive. I mean, it, it really looks like they've lavished <laughs> fucking so much on... Is anyone watching on Fox? I don't know if anyone watches it in America. I don't think hardly anyone's watching it here on Fox, <laughs> I have to say. And I f- it feels like a, a 
bit of a waste. And you know what I, I'm going to bang on about the OA? All I'm going to say quickly is it shares a lot of its madness with the OA and it's kind of exploring alternate realities and different dimensions and different iterations of the same person and time travel and all this stuff. Bottom line... The reason why I love the OA, and I think the OA works with this kind of stuff, even though you might think, oh, what the fuck is going on all the way through, is because it's grounded and it's in, in a certain level of reality and it makes you care about the characters who are incredibly fascinating, three-dimensional, interesting, likeable people. In this, I don't know who any of these people are and it never really worked, seemed to work that hard at establishing why we should be interested in these individual mm. characters. Uh, so, I, I, so I don't care enough... I kind of enjoy watching it because it is so inventive visually and the sound and everything, even when you work well, out. When there is sound. But the music yeah. and all of that. It's so, and it's kind of having a fun time. It's kind of done in a very tongue-in-cheek way. Like the musical, the musical number is kind of like a little funny video, a little pop video. You, you haven't seen that musical number until you've seen it without any real sound. Well, I bet. Like, and it's so a I silent kind, musical number. So I kind of enjoy it, but it's it's a weird... It's like they could have just a bit, worked a bit harder at making you care about those characters, and then it would have been... I would have absolutely loved it. You I know bet. what else it shares with the OA? Go the on. titles, yeah, where it says right, Legion, yes. are 46 yeah. minutes into this 47-minute yes. episode. This, let's face it, this has become a, a competition now, hasn't it, between yeah. showrunners of shows like this. How late can we leave the titles? Hmm. Yeah, absolutely, which is all I think. I mean, I know there were shows like The Good Wife that did it a lot halfway mm. through the episode, but it was but the OA the that did it thing. right yeah. towards yeah. the end of the and first episode. And this did it as well. Uh, I, I think, boy, to your point, mm. you just have to be careful because there's a really thin line between real confidence mm. in making these shows to the surreal to the mm. slightly ridiculous to the bold to the inventive and then and you know and anti fan service yeah. and then pure ego in terms of being like I don't get a sense they really give a fuck if anyone's watching or like right. if I agree, people yeah. are really connecting with yeah. it and I think at that point you kind of go or who are you making it for? Who mm. do you really believe is watching this? Do yeah. you think those things are really in service of TV viewers these days who are, you know, under an embarrassment of riches when it comes to amazing characterization and also people doing stuff with real flair and, and with real boldness? So it's it's slightly, for me, gets into that territory of just being, look how cool and funny and clever and weird we are without really going, okay, we are doing it for these group of people who fervently love this and mm. love everything we do. And that's weird because Noah Hawley, because I think he did a brilliant job with Fargo. Yes, like, I love those series. And that you know that was all about character mm. and story. And, and it's almost like he's kind of gone, right, I don't need to do any of that. I'm just being fucking amazing and visually incredible. And But at least I thought, like, it's only it started the first season. It was always demented and surreal yeah. and yeah. set in yeah. a really unclear time period where it's, it's yeah. contemporary, but the aesthetic is really weird and kind of like 60s mm. um, but it was always very very weird and I liked it but it felt as it went on that it was a little bit amorphous and inessential and then when season 2 dropped I was like no um, yeah. and I feel a bit like again like watching this I'm like, this does not feel like essential viewing it feels no. like it's all style with some substance but not nearly enough to make it compelling yeah. mm. and, I, and I often don't like it when people say it's all style says, but in this case mm. I, just, mm. I can't there's any no way other way of dealing with it it just yeah. is like that yeah. and it's and it's it is annoying yeah. that so much has been lavished because I think if they could have just done it slightly differently, who might sell them? But, I, yeah. So I do recommend you watch this one at least the first 15 minutes or so without your headphones plugged in first properly. First 15 minutes or so, basically uh, like Austin Powers 4. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, but surreal and underwater with weird sound. Mm. Um, that is Legion, the third and final season for There Will Be No More. Uh, and that airs in the UK on Fox UK on Thursday, the 4th of July, at 9pm. But if you're watching that, then what you're not doing is watching Stranger Things, which, frankly, you should be. Because it's oh, on I mean, the same day, no and it's better. Pick of the week is Legion... No, it's not. <laughs> it's Stranger Things 3, because it's clearly the best. Yes, um, yes. correct. Correct. Yes, love a bit of Stranger Things. Right, time now for the Banshee segment, where we take a couple of classic shows from yesteryear that you've probably never seen, and absolutely should. Boyd, what have you got? I've got Rillington Place. You've just made that up. No, I have not. There's a very famous true crime uh, story that was made into a film called Ten Rillington Place many years ago. This was a three-part BBC One miniseries that came out a few years ago, which stars Jodie Comer. And oh. I can picked it before Terry had picked thirteen, the, jo the other Jodie Comer thing. I'm just in a, it's a Jodie Comer look at other Jodie Comer yeah. stuff from years gone by. And in this, she's she's not one of the, she's one of the kind of four main characters, but the main character is played by Tim Roth. John Christie, who's a serial killer, mm. um, Samantha Morton. 
plays his wife. Nico Miralegra played their neighbour and Jodie Comer's his wife. And it's all about how did this guy get away with and then someone else is charged with his crimes of serial killing. But it was really well done. Um, it's And I think it's on iPlayer. I'm pretty sure it's on iPlayer, which is where I stumbled upon it. And it's great. And it's got Jodie Comer being great. Very good. Very good. Uh, I picked one, weirdly in keeping with the fact that we've mentioned David E. Kelly already today, but now I've suddenly got cold feet because I'm a little worried that there's a slim possibility that as we get now into the 42nd podcast that I may have done it before. So have I done Boston Legal before? I think If neither of you remember, (laughs) let's assume that... Either I haven't, or as is more likely, I have, and neither of you were listening. So let's <laughs> go ahead. The for the benefit of Boyd and Terry, who weren't listening when I may or may not have done this last time, uh, this is uh, Boston Legal. Like, as you will know, the David E. Kelly legal verse, which kind of began with The Practice and Ali McBeal, reached its peak, I'm saying, with this show, Boston Legal, uh, which was spun out of the final season of The Practice in 2004 and continued until 2008, as you might expect. This is kind of an ensemble legal drama but the standouts here were Alan Shaw played by James Spader and the inimitable Denny Crane played by William Shatner and I'm going to say on record now Denny Crane is William Shatner's best TV role even more yes even more than TJ Hooker and that chap Jim he played in the Space Series. So so the, the practice was, uh, it was it was largely po-faced, uh, while Annie McBeal was a bit funny, but this is full-on comedy. Yes, Boyd, it's full-on comedy. A bit like Stranger Things 3. Full-on yeah. comedy, yeah, nothing right. but laughs. So, but this is an actual <laughs> comedy, but it had so many good people kind of came and went from this. Uh, Taraji P. Henson was in it, uh, Saffron Burroughs, Candice Bergen was in it, Monica Potter, Lake Bell, Odo from Deep Space Nine. Very exciting. Uh, John Larroquette was in it. Um, so many great people. Um, it's, it's so good. It's so genius, wildly funny. Uh, it's a fourth wall breaking masterpiece. That would be my uh, my my box quote. That Terry's got no time for this whatsoever. Uh, I can't recommend this highly enough. Boston Legal, absolute genius. Hot fact: the working title for this show was "The Practice: Colon Fleet Street." Because it was Fleet Street is named after the Boston Street where the law firm, which is uh, Crane, Poole and Schmidt, was was supposedly based. Yeah, Boston Legal, all five seasons available on DVD for twelve pounds. Well worth your money. Yeah, I remember it. I remember, I remember enjoying the fact that William Shatner was doing a He's kind so, of comedy, Denny very Crane. comedy. Yeah. But he used to use his yeah. name as if it was like a mic drop. He'd just be like, Denny Crane. So good. Wow. Terry's like, I will James never watch that show. I cannot <laughs> sanction your buffoonery. <laughs> um, so now do I get to decide? Uh, see, this is a part of the segment I really think we should retire. But sure, if it will keep you happy, go on. Okay, so the choices are, what is it called? Rillington Place. Rillington Place or Boston Legal. (laughs) And I think one person definitely delivered (laughs) their pitch with more passion, more excitement. Oh, kill me. More insight. Um, and that person is Boyd Hilton. I find. I this, think James had more passion than I did. I find this running joke deeply <laughs> tedious. <laughs> Fine, fuck you both. Uh, that is it for another episode of the Pilot TV Podcast. If you hated it, then I'm going to assume you switched off a long time ago. If, on the other hand, you loved it, then please express that love by granting us a five-star rating on iTunes and at us on social media to express your undying devotion firsthand at James C. Dyer, at Terry underscore White, and at Boyd Hilton. Uh, If you want to see Instagram stories from here inside the pod studio as well and gain a valuable insight into Terry's psychosis, then do (laughs) follow her on Instagram too. Uh, I'm going to start dabbling on the Instas, possibly, maybe. Uh, So do follow me on that as well. Boyd, on the other hand, already has followers to burn, so frankly, he's on his own. Don't forget that we're going to be live at the London Podcast Festival on Friday the 13th of September. Tickets have gratifyingly been flying for that, uh, but there's still a few left, so if you haven't already, head over to kingsplace.co.uk and book your seats for that one now. There may, may even be a bumper banshee bonanza in store for you if you do. We'll be back next week with what can only be described as three m- more TV shows. Um, <laughs> so there you go. Look forward to that. In the meantime, we're off to party like it's 1985. Pilot out. <laughs>